Thursday again. I hope you heard last week's message uh, by our brother Randy Bloom. Uh, tremendous message, uh, an important message about the triunity of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who three persons making up the one God whom we worship. Um, Randy, you know, started off his message last week talking about some unusual holidays. Of course, today's Father's Day. But I was uh, a little shocked, and if I'm honest, maybe a little hurt, that he failed to mention one holiday that took place this last Tuesday, National Pop Goes the Weasel Day. Uh, such an important holiday, and, you know, it's a, it's a song that has changed the world. Um, I'm sure you still know the words, right? And, and parents, if you haven't taught your kids this song, shame on you. Just shame on you. But I think it's important uh, as we, uh, who still hold this song sacred, that we, that we sing it or say at least the words one more time. And so uh, let's do that together. All around the mulberry bush, the monkey chased the weasel. The monkey thought was all in fun. Pop goes the weasel. Thank you. I appreciate that. So, you know, Randy, I love you, brother, uh, but this was an egregious omission on your part. Uh, you might say I'm lamenting it. That's kind of my lame way of segueing into our series today. You know, we're still on the series of lamenting, learning to lament, a journey toward hope. Um, and just by way of summarizing what we've learned, Jason has uh, taught us that, first of all, a lament is honestly and specifically naming a situation or circumstance that is painful, wrong, or unjust. In other words, it's a complaint given in a situation that does not align with God's character and does not make sense with God's kingdom. And a biblical lament, he taught us, is usually centered around two questions. Where are you, God? And why is this happening? Lamenting is bringing our complaints to God, even if they're about God. Praying boldly that he would right the wrongs that we're complaining about and choosing to trust him with his answer, whatever that answer might be. Lamenting is wrong, is raw, and real. And that's what Jason was trying to help us understand. We can be very real with God. It doesn't cover over our deep feelings when we're lamenting. It doesn't cover over our doubts, our fears. It's brutally honest with God. Now, we've seen, as Jason has shared with us, several lamenting psalms in the Old Testament. And we've seen in these laments that at times, the person lamenting breaks into what we call imprecation. <laughs> And I'm sorry for that word, it's a, it's a shorthand word to define uh, the process of the righteous person pleading to God for his justice against the perpetrators of evil. So it's just easier to say imprecation, maybe it's not that easy for you. Uh, I told my son-in-law I was using, uh, I was going to speak on imprecation, he said it's not fair to make up words. I didn't make up this word, but uh, imprecation, please to God by the righteous for justice against evil. And in Scripture, we often 
see this kind of prayer made to bring God's justice against the perpetrators of evil. And I want to give you some examples. One is in Psalm 5:10. The psalmist says, "Declare them guilty, O God; let their intrigues be their downfall. Banish them for their many sins." So here's the call of the psalmist for justice against evil. Psalm 40. May all who want to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. Psalm 54, 5. Let evil recoil on those who slander me. In your faithfulness, destroy them. Psalm 58, 6. Break the teeth in their mouths, O God. Psalm 59. Do not kill them, Lord, our shield, or my people will forget. In your might, uproot them and bring them down. For the sins of their mouths, for the words of their lips, let them be caught in their pride. For the curses and lies they utter, consume them with your wrath. Consume them till they are no more. This is typical language that we'll find in the Old Testament. This one gets a little harder. Psalm 109. May his days be few. May another take his place of leadership. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children be wandering beggars. May they be driven from their ruined homes. You know, we start to get a little queasy and uneasy with this kind of imprecation, this plea for justice. And I'll just note to you that in the Old Testament, it teaches that children are not responsible for the sins of their parents. That's in Ezekiel 18. But still, it bothers us that we're, we're asking for judgment against this evil and what it results in is fatherless children. It results in their household being ruined. It results in them becoming wanderers. That's kind of the natural consequence that we didn't think about when we we're asking for judgment against the wicked. And then this one in Psalm 137. Daughter of ba- daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction. Happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. That one really troubles us. Now, it's not that the psalmist is saying it's a good thing for children to be bashed against rocks. Not at all. In fact, it's, it's a horrible, it's an awful thing. That's what the Babylonians did to the Israelites. And what they're asking for is equal justice for the Babylonians. So as the Babylonians invaded them, killed their children, so may those who invade Babylon and do the same thing to them. It's the punishment that fits the crime. But here, you know, this is what bothers us about imprecation, imprecatory prayers, prayers for judgment from God against evil. There are really two aspects of this that, that bother us. One is it just seems so insensitive, like Is God really approving this? This is meanness of spirit. This is a lack of concern for innocent people. So we struggle with that. Is that what we're supposed to do? And the other problem we have is that it seems Jesus is teaching something very opposite to this. In his Sermon on the Mount, which he preached on several occasions, by the way, in one occasion, Matthew 5, he said, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 
An imprecation just doesn't sound like that. In another occasion, Luke 6, you who are listening, to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. And a, a prayer of imprecation doesn't seem like a blessing. It seems like a curse. So what's the solution to this problem? How do we understand these prayers in the Bible? And what I want to try to demonstrate to you today is that we can do both things that we see in Scripture. We can pray these prayers for justice, and we can pray, as Jesus said, for the blessing on our enemies. So that's what we're going to look at. I hope to be able to express that to you and, and defend that for you. But first of all, I want to look at some wrong solutions to this problem of these kind of prayers. One solution says this. The Psalms merely record the venting of the psalmist's angry feelings. And what they're saying here is that, yes, the, the psalmist or whoever is, is giving these awful feelings that they have about the enemy, they want them destroyed. But that's all it is. It's just their feelings. We don't have to take that as a statement of what we should do or whether that's even right or not. And, and it's true. These psalms do express the venting of these angry, hurtful feelings on the part of the psalmist. But that's not to say that those feelings are wrong. If that's what we feel, of course, we ought to speak that to God. We ought to be honest with him. I mean, he knows what's going on in our hearts anyway, doesn't he? So if that's what we're feeling, share it with him. That's what the psalmists are doing and others who plead to God to bring justice against the perpetrators of evil. Haven't you had those kind of feelings against Vladimir Putin? I mean, I have. I have wished that maybe he could be assassinated. I have wished that he maybe could at least be removed from power. For all his crimes, his crimes in Ukraine, his crimes against his own people. So I'm praying for his defeat. Is that wrong? Is it right to want justice? And is it right to want justice that's equal to the crime? Has Putin ordered the death of many innocent people in the Ukraine? Yeah. Has he uh, assassinated, killed many of uh, his own people, uh, party officials and others in his country? Yes, he has. So an imprecation against him, a plea for justice against uh, Vladimir Putin would be a valid reflection in a sense of God's own justice, God's own feelings about this situation. Now, that's not to say that everything the psalmist says is right. I don't mean that. For example, in Psalm 22, when David says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's not true that God has forsaken him. But that's what he feels like. He feels he's been forsaken. But in these kinds of psalms where they're praying for justice against evil... That's a different matter. This is a reflection of God's own heart of justice for what is wrong and what is evil. So when someone's reflecting God's justice in a way like this, 
uh, desire for the punishment of evil, he or she is not wrong in wanting and wishing for that and asking for that. So I don't think the answer of the psalmists are just merely venting their feelings. I don't think that's a correct understanding of what's going on here. A second wrong solution to this problem is to say that the teaching of the Old Testament has been superseded or replaced with the teaching of Jesus in the New Testament. Now, just on the surface of that, that's in essence saying the New Testament is contradicting the Old Testament. And I can't accept that on the face of it. That's just not right. Um, Now, there are aspects of the Old Testament that um, haven't been carried over, so to speak, into New Testament life. But it's not because they were wrong or contradicted. It's because they were fulfilled, like the sacrificial system. That was fulfilled by Jesus' sacrifice. So we no longer offer animal sacrifices. But that's not what's going on here in these psalms. We can reject this view simply on the grounds that these imprecations, these pleas for justice against the perpetrators of evil are not just found in the Old Testament. They're also found in the New Testament. In the words of Jesus himself, for example, look at uh, Jesus' words in Matthew 23. He says multiple times to the teachers and Pharisees, Woe to you, teachers and Pharisees, you hypocrites. The pronouncement of a woe on somebody is is a request for judgment. And that's Jesus then doing a, a prayer of imprecation, a plea for justice against the perpetrators of evil. Does that mean Jesus didn't pray for the Pharisees? I mean, he taught us to pray for our enemies. And these were his main enemies. Did he pray for them? And yet here he is giving an imprecation. Paul gives us the rest of these. 1 Corinthians 16, if anyone does not love the Lord, let that person be cursed. Galatians 1, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel, other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Because that's a serious offense, to preach a false gospel, to mislead people. Galatians 5, I would that they were even cut off who trouble you. And 2 Timothy 4, Alexander, the coppersmith, did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. So if the New Testament is also doing imprecation, pleas for justice to God against perpetrators of evil, that's not just an Old Testament thing. The two are not contradicting each other. So we can't say the answer to this is we've moved from an Old Testament way of doing things to a New Testament way. And a third wrong solution, I think, to this problem is to say that the writers of the Old Testament just weren't as enlightened morally as we are today. And you can probably feel in that very statement a a kind of an arrogance, a modern arrogance about how enlightened we are in this modern era. But I want to suggest to you that the only enlightenment we have in this modern era comes from Jesus and his apostles. 
The influence of Christ and his church upon our culture has led to the enlightenment that we have. We didn't come up with that on our own. And where we see that kind of influence, Christian influence, waning or absent in cultures, what do we see? We see people taking vengeance. We see vendettas. And when we see that, own, that influence waning in our own cultures, we see this when someone tweets against uh, a public official and then immediately that official gets death threats. Our own moral enlightenment comes from Jesus. So this is not what's happening in the Old Testament. It's not a lack of moral enlightenment. The Old Testament is very, very morally enlightened. It is more so, I would say, than we are in our own culture. So what is the solution? If those are not the right ways to think about it, what's the right way to think about these pleas of the righteous for justice against the perpetrators of evil? And let me just say this, um, kind of by way of introduction to getting to the answer here. God cannot be God if there's no justice meted out by him against evil. God is the God of justice. And he has promised that there will be a settling of accounts. That's what it means to be God. It's to have justice against what is destructive and evil and wicked and what hurts and destroys people. Justice, equity, demands a a punishment equal to the crime. In the Old Testament, we see the phrase, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That's what that's saying. You don't destroy someone's eye, and so they kill you. That's not a crime. That's not a punishment equal to the crime. The punishment and the, has to be equal. And that's what imprecation is doing. So God cannot be God if he's not meeting out justice. But God can also not be God if he's not showing mercy to those who repent of their atrocities. That's who God is. He's the God of justice and he's the God of mercy. And I would say this, humans are not fully human if we don't yearn for the justice of God against evil in our world. It is right for us, it is human in the good sense, in the positive sense, in the best sense, for us to feel anger against injustice. And that means we should long for punishment equal to the crime. On the other hand, humans are not fully human if they're not willing to show mercy to those who receive God's forgiveness when they repent. So with that in mind, let's think about the right way to view imprecation, pleased by the righteous to God for justice against perpetrators of evil. The first thing I want to help you understand is this. The prayers that we see in the Bible are just that. They're prayers. They're not determinations by the authors of those prayers to exact justice or to take matters into their own hands in any way. They're prayers to God. Lord, I want you to bring justice. I'm not going to bring it I want you to bring it, God. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. 
That's what the scriptures teach us. And these prayers recognize that. They're not personal vendettas. Paul tells us in Romans 12, 19, and he's quoting the Old Testament, by the way, Deuteronomy 32, 35. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. That's our standard. So our prayers are just that, prayers to God for him to bring about justice, not for us to bring it about. Now this is not to say that there might be situations in which God chooses to use human beings, us, to bring about that justice, but there'd have to be a very clear call from God for that to happen. The second thing I want us to understand, number two, loving our enemy does not absolve them from sin or from the punishment that might be due their sin. After my uh, grandfather died, this was many years ago, my step-grandmother and my aunt were staying in the house, settling affairs and so forth. One night, uh, someone broke in, seeking, I guess, whatever wealth he thought might be there. In the process, he killed my step-grandmother, and he left my aunt for dead. This individual was um, apprehended and imprisoned. I I really don't know what the actual sentence was for him. Honestly, I haven't um, prayed about him or this, what happened, until I did this study. I I didn't pray against him either. Uh, I think in that whole time, I was probably just in such shock, I didn't even know what to pray or didn't even think about him. Um... But I believe he deserved what he got for what he did. And loving him doesn't mean he doesn't deserve what he got. Remember, God told Noah that if a person sheds someone's blood, his blood must be shed. And so God is requiring justice in those situations of murder particularly. As I did pray for this man... (laughs) I prayed, if he's still alive, uh, that he be brought to repentance and faith. I wasn't praying that he be released from jail, necessarily. He deserves what happened to him. He should take his punishment. But if God would give him eternal life, if he would repent and come to faith, that would be a great mercy from God. And I should be in on that mercy, giving mercy also. So praying for justice against a perpetrator of evil and loving and praying for that person are not incompatible. The two can both be done. And so number three, a third aspect to help us understand this. The experience of justice might be the very thing that moves a person to repentance. I was recently reading in Chronicles, and I was reading the account of Manasseh, who was a king in Judah, and he was an awful king. He was an evil king. He violated God's commandments. He led the people in false worship. And finally, God sent the Assyrians 
to Jerusalem and they captured him. Now, I know people in Israel were praying for that very thing to happen. Maybe not that way, but they were praying against his evil. And the Bible says that the Assyrians captured him. They put a hook in his nose, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. In his distress, he sought the favor of Yahweh his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his ancestors. And when he prayed to him, Yahweh was moved by his entreaty and listened to his plea. And so he brought him back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. So that judgment worked in Manasseh's life to lead him to repentance. I think the same thing happened with the Apostle Paul. You remember before he became a believer, Paul was a persecutor of the church. He was getting permission to go to Damascus to imprison followers of Jesus. And on the way, he was struck. He was met by Jesus, struck blind. And I know that people had been praying about Paul against this perpetrator of evil. God, do something. And God did something. And he blinded him. And Paul is led to Damascus. And he repents. He humbles himself. He acknowledges that Jesus is Lord. And he receives him as his Savior. And then Paul becomes the greatest advocate for Jesus, perhaps the world has ever seen. And so his justice experienced led to his repentance and faith. And so number four, let me suggest this. We should move from pleas for justice to justice for prayer for against evil to repentance and prayers for repentance and salvation for the person perpetrating the evil. Uh, I was talking to one of our church members this week. She made the astute observation that if you're merely praying for God's punishment on the perpetrator of evil, there's a great temptation in that situation to become bitter, especially if God doesn't immediately answer your prayer. But if in your prayers for justice against the perpetrator of evil, you're also praying for their repentance and for them to come to faith, I think that fights against the potential to become bitter. It protects us against bitterness. It reflects the heart of God, the God of justice and the God of mercy. He's both, and we must be both. Think about Jonah, the prophet. Uh, He hated the Ninevites. Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. He hated them, and for good reason. They had conquered, tortured his people for years. They were, in our terms, the Russians who invaded Ukraine, if you think of Israel as Ukraine. They controlled Israel. They demanded payment uh, from the Israelites as a conquered people. And Jonah wanted their destruction. And I know he had been praying for their destruction. Prayers of imprecation to God against the perpetrators of evil. So imagine his shock when God tells him, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach because he knows how merciful God is. He knows if he goes and he preaches to them and they repent, God's going to relent of the destruction that Jonah's been praying for. So Jonah takes off and he tries to get away from God and he gets on the boat. You know the story. He gets thrown overboard. He ends up being swallowed by a fish and regurgitated out on the shore of his enemy. 
and he preaches, and they do repent. And he gets very grudging about that, and he begins to sulk, and he's sitting under a, uh, a plant to keep him from the heat of the sun. And God excoriates him. God charges him with a lack of compassion. He says, you shouldn't be this way. We, in the same way, should be moving from our pleas for justice against the perpetrators of evil to pleas for repentance and faith. You can do both. And so that's what I'm suggesting as the last way of understanding this whole thing here. God will judge the wicked and we are right to recognize that and ask for that. That's a prayer of imprecation while at the same time asking for repentance that could change the lives of the evil person to righteousness. As Darrell Bach says, love for one's enemy does not fix a view of him in stone. This is what we believe as Christians, that a person can change no matter how bad they are. Who would have thought that the Apostle Paul, the great persecutor of the church, could become the apostle of Jesus Christ? We can believe that. We know what God can do, how he can change a person who was so counter to the heart of God to make them walk in line with the heart of God. So love believes and prays for change in the hearts of sinners and hearts of the wicked. We see this actually in one of the Psalms. And so here in one Psalm, an Old Testament piece of Scripture, is exactly what we've been advocating today that you can both pray for judgment against the wicked and pray for their salvation. Psalm 83 says this, Make them like tumbleweed, my God, like chaff before the wind. As fire consumes the forest or a flame sets the mountains ablaze, so pursue them with your tempest and terrify them with your storm. Cover their faces with shame, Lord. That's the imprecation. So that they will seek your name. That's the prayer for repentance. This is why John Piper says uh, there's a kind of hate for the sinner viewed as morally corrupt and hostile to God that may coexist with pity and even a desire for their salvation. That exists in the heart of a believer together, both aspects. So let's have our prayers, in our prayers of lament, let's, let's complain about those non-kingdom aspects, as Jason talked about, conditions that are unacceptable in view of who God is and in view of his kingdom. And in that process, let's sprinkle in some imprecation. Let's sprinkle in some prayers for justice against the perpetrators of evil. Let's make that appeal for justice against them. Jesus said this, Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? So Jesus anticipated us doing this very thing, crying out for justice. Will God keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. 
But as we pray and lament and sprinkle in those prayers of imprecation, let's sprinkle in some prayers for repentance, prayers for blessing of our enemies, asking God to turn the wicked from their wicked ways and show them the path of eternal life. I think that's what God is calling us to do. Cover their faces with shame, Lord, (laughs) so that they will seek your name. Father, we thank you that you have, in our own wickedness, you have shown us mercy. There may have been some who were praying for rescue from our wickedness. And Lord, perhaps we experienced uh, your judgment, but then you brought us to yourself. And they may have been praying for our redemption and our repentance as well. Thank you, God. Thank you that you love us and that you're willing to hear our prayers like this and even our prayers for judgment. You are the God of justice and you are the God of mercy. And we love you for that. Hey, thanks for listening to the Grace Hill Podcast. We really hope you found this message compelling and inviting. If you'd like to connect with someone to find out more about Grace Hill Church or maybe discuss this episode or something else about life or faith, please don't hesitate to reach out to us directly at gracehill901.com. We'd really love to connect and discuss anything with you. And please remember, you matter. You matter.